Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse. And for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate! Demons bliss out! After what did we come on! There is rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur fossils? Now let's put those here to test our faith. That damn lie! I, I saw them on my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did in illusions, man! None of it is true! I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing! We are the illusion! Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Deep Share. I just had my mind blown to bits. That's the best way I can put it. And it's a testament to the theories you're going to hear tonight. I've always been drawn to physics and astronomy, outer space in general. Most of my young life was like a collage of 80s cosmic horror movie posters and Carl Sagan books. But for many, space kind of loses its luster after a while, along with so many other curiosities. But for me, the mysteries seem to remain, no matter how rock-solid I'm told things are. Tonight's guest is Ari Asulin, a researcher of all things hidden and redacted, and the mind behind Paradigm Threat, the conspiracy theory repository. We did run into some technical difficulties in the beginning, so we'll just drop right into the talk. This was an epic conversation, and it is information-heavy. That's for sure, my friends. So get your learning helmets on, and let's get deep. So yeah, if you would, man, just give us a little bit of background on how you've been getting into this stuff and and uh, the research that you've been doing. Like you you've been running Paradigm Threat for how long now? Well, uh, sort of, kind of unofficially for about four years. I've been collecting various um, pictures, memes. Uh, you know, memes are actually really powerful. Sometimes you just get a little bit of information all at once. You go research it later, that kind of thing. So um, I realized that there's kind of a meme war going on and that Facebook and whatnot have been hashing tons of memes to try to get them from ever being spread. Very effective. So to kind of save the best ones was the initial uh, goal. It was just uh, it was just becoming huge folders with images. So I decided to put all of it online. At the same time, I was writing a lot um, in uh, debate forums, Facebook and other places, about um, what I uh, certain conspiracy theories that I was uh, looking into at the time. Um, nothing this far. I was really just kind of scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. But I had become convinced that um, there was something going on with airplanes. That that airplanes are just moving too slow for that to be entirely aerodynamic. That there's probably some kind of other technology involved as well. And I started finding all this evidence to to support it. And then I started finding that people in the aviation communities were actually very paranoid about this kind of talk. 
And weird things started happening. I found another forum that said, hey, it's starting to leak, guys. What should we do? And I was just, wow, what's starting to leak? Are you guys talking about like, you know, anti-gravity technology and airplanes or something? So just, it, it was more of just a fancy. And it was just scratching around. I wasn't getting anywhere with that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, eventually, uh, uh, so, so eventually I put all this stuff online when I started to get censored majorly on all networks, Facebook, even LinkedIn, closed my account for two years. Jeez. Um, <clears throat> for just posting an article um, about planes. So this has uh, been so, going. This censorship has been going on a lot longer than has kind of yeah, been yeah, yeah. In the public eye for sure. Exactly, and I think that's where I can say my my uh, entry into all this has come from. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, I got really sensitive to the type of censorships that was going on over um, the last ten years. Uh, the first obvious censorship that I experienced since my family lives in Israel, I was born and raised Jewish, mm -hmm. was that when I had some issues with uh, certain events that was going on in Israel, I was taking one side or the other. I realized that so it was Facebook. They were essentially taking one side on all of these issues yeah. um, and, and completely censoring anyone that tried to explore the other side, which does not tell me immediately that one side or the other side is right, but absolutely makes me want to, you know, go to that other side and it's just what is the underdog situation here? Why yeah. are they censoring it? And just all the other questions that are raised, right? Mm -hmm. So it started with all that Israel politics and, you know, the debates over the Holocaust and stuff, which I got to say are pretty superficial and don't really lead anywhere generally online. You're talking pretty, about uh, you know, uh, Holocaust didn't happen kind of conspiracy theory stuff? That stuff or what to do about the Gaza Strip. You know, uh, these issues are not black and white at all, but the debates tend to be, right? It's either right. you believe it or you don't kind of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so so I, I um, so that's sort of where I trailed into a lot of other things. Um, I was amazed that they were censoring so much the idea of chemtrails. I was like, what's the big deal? Just let people talk about it. But they're absolutely doing that. So I got into chemtrails and I found out it was majorly censored. And I just kept going and going and eventually found out that there are actually a great deal of theories out there that are available for us to read right now. And the only reason we haven't seen them yet is due to algorithm censorship, which can come down to totally blocking something, but also just preventing someone from ever seeing it randomly in their YouTube feed or whatever, Google feed, Google uh, index. I so, see, um, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, I run, I seem to run into that a lot where it's not necessarily that people I speak to are, uh, you know, allergic to the information and won't hear it. It's that they're not seeing right. it at all. And they're constantly bombarded with the opposite, you know? Exactly. And that's where we'll get into predictive programming because predictive yes. programming is so essential into understanding the reaction that an average person will have to a lot of these concepts when they finally predictively, you know, encounter them. Yeah. So uh, this is definitely something that I really wanted to dive into because I feel like we kind of need a, a, you know, predictive programming 101 for quite a, quite a lot of people right. out there. And so right, I'd right. love to just jump right into that, man. Sure. Um, I think that's actually what I would say that I'm better at. I'm not that good at researching. I'm not that disciplined with conspiracy theory, to be honest, but mm -hmm. I really got into this predictive programming element of it. Okay. And I guess you could say it has something to do with the way I was raised. Um, like I said, born and raised Jewish, but my family's in Israel. My dad's from Morocco. Um, he's African-American, but he's white, right? So everything about this kind of upbringing was sort of different from yeah. stereotypes that we're used to about Jews, about Americans, about Christians. And I got sort of a big dose of a lot of these aspects early in life. So I think by looking... Oh, here's the thing. We all assumed, hearing about all this religion in the 80s and 90s, uh, that it would uh, fade away someday or just remain inconsequential force in our lives. Yes. And yet it does appear that religion is like the central theme of everything that's happening. 
all the religion, all the wars, all the politics, everything. Uh, it's a lot of things too. that people do not. The what? I'm sorry. I would say on the positive end too. Absolutely, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the spiritual movement that's happening, right? And well, kind of right, has that's been religion. happening. <laughs> right. It's hard to admit to it. Yeah, we're part of religion here. Yeah. We're, you know, spiritual <laughs> way. movements tend to fall. Yeah, tend to fall susceptible to uh, intransigence. You know, they just they sort of say we're looking at the bigger picture. We're just going to wait it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we all have our flaws based on our religions, right? There's a lot of things people do not consider to be religion, mm-hmm. like the belief of money or yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the belief in democracy, for example, totally a religion. So um, as we are actually fighting wars over religion, it occurred to me eventually that um, we're all going to have to do that thing we don't want to do and look at those weird religions that our parents' generations were so mesmerized by, that there has to be something in there that sort of unlocks all this, right? Yeah, so you're nodding. So it's um, we can all feel it. We were just hoping it wasn't the case, right? I think that's that's what it is, mm-hmm. right? When I finally found uh, Velikovsky and um, David Talbot, when I finally scratched the surface that history might not be as, as they told us, that there might be some major events of our history that they're hiding, um, I realized, wait a sec, this has everything to do with Judaism and Christianity and Islam again. Yeah, uh, the, the whole talk about- back around. Yeah, can't talk about the origin of the story of Earth without talking about those religions. Can't talk about the history of uh, you know uh, of antiquity without talking about the historicity of some of these narratives. So um, yeah, the point is it is totally designed to make us fight. These religions are made to. If you read the the uh, Old Testament, you'll see that Jews are the chosen people. If you read the Quran, you'll see that Muslims are the chosen people. They are told to fight against their enemies, and then they do. It's really not a surprise. So um, Velkovsky, he basically um, came out and said. He was one of the first to come out and say, look, guys, you're all looking at this stuff, this history as, um, as you know, religious fables, but they could actually be real events. Um, now, why was Velikovsky so important? Well, he was Jewish. He was able to research this stuff. He was given access to this stuff. And in an environment where other rabbis and so forth, he wasn't a rabbi, but he talked to them, mm-hmm. uh, were able to take this seriously. I guess when they when they finally do, I only took a few Hebrew classes. I read the Old Testament just briefly, mm. but when they, when you finally look into it, I think you're kind of usually average person is kind of amazed that there is a great amount of detail as to the um, the historic events, um, hour by hour, even sometimes um, the detail of certain locations, um, towns, villages, the way things were. It's actually mm. an immersive amount of detail, so it couldn't have been made up. You know, this is not something that they they um they could have possibly made up so um we're talking therefore... about ancient myth right 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 yeah velikovsky uh, was I'm, jump... connect yeah, I'm jumping all over the place but um yeah uh, oh that's okay velikovsky essentially was the only reason that he actually was controversial was because he he talked about this from a purely jewish perspective he said here's why i think the exodus was here's why i think you know um actually happened mm-hmm. and um and, and then from there you know, as we know, he was suppressed and David Talbot was the first one to come out with the Saturn myth. So if you want, I can actually go into all of that now if you want. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, because the Saturn thing itself is, I've always wondered myself, like, where is the truth in all these theories that kind of break apart and go their own direction and the black cube and all that? I don't know how any of it fits together because it doesn't seem to be a solid thread you can just follow anywhere. Right. Um, uh, One idea is that you might want to uh, look for the simplest explanation when it comes to history. 
because it seems that the redaction history was deliberate obfuscation to to duplicate things so much that we think you know it's the six thousand years of history and millions of events when it wasn't as many so it's actually the the story is all simple the origin story is simple the um the uh, symbols that we associate with it like the black cube all have a simple explanation okay so uh, yeah we can get to it um Hell yeah. Like I said, Velikovsky was the first one to bring this out into the public. David Talbot in 1981 was the first one to actually say Saturn. At that point, uh, Velikovsky wrote him a letter and said, hey, um, you know, I actually came up with this theory and told you about it, David Talbot, and you sort of mentioned it in the first line, and I was suppressed from it. FYI. So actually, there's a letter from Velikovsky to Talbot saying that A, he sort of stole his thunder for the Saturn myth, and B, mm -hmm. Uh, he sort of left out half of the mythology as, as it relates to the sun. Huh. So there's a dispute between Velikovsky and Talbot. Uh, actually, a lot of people uh, dispute a lot of the claims they made, and there's a lot of things I don't agree with that, that both of them said. The point is, these are all stepping stones breaking the stuff out into the public. Right. So, um, yeah, I'll briefly mention um, uh, Sigmund Freud, which he was predates Velikovsky. Mm -hmm. The reason he's significant is because, again, like Velikovsky said, he believes there's something to that Exodus story, the histor historic version of it, mm -hmm. that may be other than what we're told. And specifically, specifically, it's that Moses may have been from an Egyptian bloodline rather than a Jewish bloodline. Oh. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal to anyone, except for people who believe in the chosen people narrative. Exactly. So actually, the, the big deal that Sigmund Freud did was he said that chosen people narrative might be dubious, might be something else. And he died the same time that book was being written and published. So coincidence, <laughs> coincidence, but every time something goes wrong, these guys sort of disappear. Yep. Over right. So, uh, yep. right. So let me uh, get into my timeline here. Um, mm. Based on a lot of different authors that I've been reading um, that, that went far beyond what Velkovsky was able to do, I was, start, I was starting to come up with my own timeline for uh, the origin story of Earth. Um, the idea of my project is to uh, sort of throw out there a skeleton timeline so other people can say, hey, you're wrong. You know, that's exactly what I'm trying to do is to get people to tell me why I'm wrong. That's fantastic. That's like right, I don't profess. forward thinking. Right. <laughs> there you go. And that's sort of, I think, where things should go. We're so afraid in the 20th century of being wrong about anything. They sort of got us on that. Yeah. So now, if there really is somebody that knows this stuff out there, then this is sort of like a tease. But beyond that, the reason why I have to do it this way is because Nobody seems to have it yet. I mean, nobody. Right. It wasn't Velkovsky. It wasn't any of these modern authors. Some of these guys, like Janot Cook, have put in some puzzle pieces that are amazing, that totally fit together for me. And yet, they are obscure authors with the wrong conclusions. Uh, right. It's like, where do they get that from? You know, so nobody has this yet. Um, and I suspect, as a lot of people do, that the reason is because you can't get this kind of thing published. Not the real version. You can get like a controlled opposition version of it. So, right. Anyway. Wouldn't you also uh, say that like the predict, like not predictive programming maybe, but there's a reason why no one's looking for it either. You know, not no one, but half the country, half the world is just not looking for this at all. They are right. satisfied with the narrative already. Yeah. Um, actually, the person that spoke most to that is uh, Anatoly Fum Fumienko. Mm -hmm. and he's the guy that claims uh, the... Uh, of the phantom time hypothesis that maybe a thousand years of history weren't actually there. But I've been reading his works a lot lately. And one of the claims that he says is that he believes the reason why a lot of this happens 
was essentially people are trying to cover up crimes. That's it. Imagine if you can erase one year from your life from existence, you could erase crimes. You could actually like, pack a bunch of crimes into a moment, actually. Just normal so, everyday crimes are we talking or? No, no, no. The, the biggest oh, crimes okay. of all, the, the, the big deal <laughs> ones, like what, what the Roman Empire allegedly did to indigenous cultures that it, you know, incorporated. And if not the Roman Empire, then the Holy Roman Empire. Right. Um, uh, anywhere that Rome was considered at the time, apparently, according to Fomenko, there's Rome headquarters had moved many times. Really? Um, so my point is that uh, what they were trying to do by by redacting history and adding time and removing time is to sort of erase moments where the cultures went, went were taken out and, and absorbed into an empire, and there's no good stories to justify the actions of the empire. Uh, we see this in South America with the Aztecs. They, they try to justify the Spanish um, takeover of South America and Mesoamerica by saying it was the Aztecs' fault. So they let us all in, you know. Right. They're coming up with narratives to justify the invaders. They always do that. Sometimes mm -hmm. the easiest way is to actually just erase that moment of history or or change the location. So that's just his theory, and it's actually one of the best theories that I, I have stumbled on so far is they're just trying to cover up their crimes. They're not actually trying to lie to us about the truth, but they have to lie to us about the last thousand years. That's just part of it. Right, right. That's, a, that's like a, a situation that they've put themselves in, it seems. Exactly. So that's why it seems the whole world doesn't want to. They're sort of afraid of, you know, touching it. Mm. Um, God, I just watched that movie. Um, uh, in, no, um, Minority Report, 2012. Oh, good. And there's that one, there's one scene in the jail where the guy says, if you dig up the past, all you get is dirty. This is a type of predictive programming that has been warming, uh, warning us our whole lives. It's always been there. So we know, we know if we dig up the past, we get dirty. We know they've told us, they've warned us. So you made a good point so, just there. Let's get back on. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick. Um, the predictive program that's been warning us. So now this is something that I've only recently been really kind of getting into, but it, mm. I don't feel like I have a lot of support in our, even in our own kind of open-minded community right. where yeah. every bit of predictive programming, all of this is this big evil, evil thing, but who the hell is warning us? Wouldn't that be a good <laughs> thing? This is so well, confusing. I <laughs> yeah, I know it's confusing, right? Uh, comes down to motivations of this so-called deep state or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. uh, what are their true, true, true motivations at the end of all of it? Right. Well, yeah. We're not talking about the political it, Trump deep state. Like that's such a, no, 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 that's no. once again, co-opted information, you know, right, it's just right. skewed to the make pure, it look the, like something else right, or to simplify form, it down. Exactly. Exactly. But the purest reasonable form of something that would be called a deep state is something that operates in every country in a deep fashion, sort of embedded in our society in a way that we can't really uh, drive them out, and that they are very much in control of the governments, at least periodically, not all the time necessarily, but that their influence can suddenly come up in a huge wave and they can do, say, a worldwide mask mandate. It's quite impressive, honestly. Yeah, it really um, is. So, so, you know, they show their power a little bit. So you're asking, what are these warnings? Well, I'd say the biggest power, and, and the hard part is to try to imagine yourself wanting to rule the world, like for real, <laughs> how this stuff would really go down. Yeah. The biggest power you could possibly have is to control both sides of any conflict. That's the biggest power. Wow. Not controlling one side and making them win, but controlling both sides. It's called controlled opposition. It means that the opposition of any conflict is also, you have your element of control. Right. Where does the element of control usually come from? Spending money, right? Millions of dollars. Absolutely. Uh, a QAnon and campaigns like that have big budgets behind them. 
uh, Flat Earth, those guys are sponsored by churches all across the world. They're tax exempt yeah. status. That's I know. Such that's something that no one seems to nobody to pays know. attention to. Yeah, <laughs> they are on missions. They're tax exempt yep. missions all place to, to prove. Yeah, within the flat Earth. There's almost no historicity on flat Earth anywhere. It started in the 19th century. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I'm sort of using uh, like the bits and pieces that I feel fit the narrative, and I'm treating this as sort of a murder mystery, the murder mystery who killed the history of the Earth. Um, wow. It's nothing less than that. It's not an academic venture, and I'm not an academic kind of person. Mm-hmm. I'll admit that. Um, so I'm looking for the lie. I'm constantly paranoid looking for the lie. Uh, this could be a lie. That could be a lie. I have flipped on so many things, and I intend to continue to flip. Damn right. Um, I like that strong pronouncement. Right. Uh, you know, because, uh, like I said, can't be afraid of being wrong. Nope. And so, uh, what, you know, what I'm, I'm kind of predicting here that no one's really going to come out and tell me that I'm wrong. It's kind of obvious because... That means they have to then say what's right. Um, so anyway, putting it together like a murder mystery, we have all these clues. We have clues that almost every civilization on Earth has a different origin story for the creation date and for the time when all of that creation ended and things sort of got fixed into the normal paradigm we know now. Uh, they are all over the place. So that means that somebody had an interest in keeping them separate. There's no way that people actually messed up so much to accidentally add 800, 300, years to their calendar or, or misfix the dates. The, the purest example of a calendar ideological warfare would be the international fixed calendar. You can go look it up on Wikipedia. Okay. And this is um, the 13 moon calendar, the one that um, each month follows a moon pattern and that there's 13 months in a year with a few leap year days in order to make it work. 28 days in a month um, fixed. That's why it's called fixed. Uh, guess what? This is still in use. Vietnam. They have that over there. They still use that calendar, uh, lunar solar. Um, why does Vietnam still use the lunar? I think we all know why. Because they fought a war against us to, and the communists on the other side to win their freedom. They won that war. So guess what? They kept their indigenous calendar. Holy shit. So, that's yeah, a... <laughs> right. I know. So, so it's just a little example here. If we had it fits. defeated them, it we'd just have... fits. It just fits, right? If we had defeated them fully, we'd have imposed the, uh, the Roman uh, Gregorian calendar on them. Right. Um, so the first thing is that all of the calendar dates are all over the place. So I'm not going to get an accurate dating system here. This is not going to happen. So what I'm looking for is to get the wow, drop my mic, to get the correct order of events. In fact, I believe that the order of events is the most critical thing in our history. It's more critical than the years, knowing the years that they happened. Um, I don't know if these events happened over 2,000 years or 200 years, and it just doesn't matter. Right. What does matter? is what led from one event to the next. And I, I talked about this in my video. Um, ain't nobody explained that one. In uh, uniformitarian cosmology, the one that we're taught in schools, they just say, you know, Big Bang, and then galaxies, and then stars. Everything's slow accretion on Newtonian physics. Of course, these things don't actually work out in a simulator, but they still believe that's how what happens. They can't actually explain how one event will lead to the next. They just say, trust us, accretion plus a billion years. So that they don't they don't you know they obviously aren't focused on trying to get kids or anyone to know the causality of events right we don't even know how stars form we think it's a supernova um that's great but okay how long and where the you know so uh, with parameters of it so 
So in a way, space um, is a psyop, not in the same way as Flat Earth describes it, but it's the fact that like all of our children are, you know, my son's obsessed with stars and planets. I, I am, right. so I taught him, and it's just we're, but it, we don't know anything. <laughs> we're right. just led well, to just be stare at it, you know? Exactly. They gave us sort of an incomplete uh, picture of the universe, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And so the Flat Earth Controlled Opposition Project Mm-hmm. essentially fills in the blank and has been doing so for 200 years apparently in order to control the opposition who want to call out the establishment and it just works so well i mean i've been i've been to these anti-mask protests all, all, all last year and the flat earthers were always there and i was trying to get the um the mandate people anti-mandate people to understand that that the flat earthers are making them look bad especially on the video cameras and also that horns boy showed up, the guy with the horns. He showed up at one of the protests. I, I called him out in front of the cameras. No shit. I knew he was, a, he was an agent back then. Anyway, um, it hurt. my point is that I was trying to ascribe to all of the protesters that these guys are making you look bad. And they're like, no, no, no. They're here to help us, you know? <laughs> they're here they're to make our protest bigger and it looks bigger. Yeah, I know. So that's controlled opposition problem. NASA has given us an incomplete picture. And, and so they, they invented Flat Earth to catch anyone that disagrees with them. But there's this other side. That's not the other side. The other side is what existed before NASA, the people that existed and the people that believed in young earth creationism in one form or another, young earth, not billion, 4.5 billion year olds. So um, for those people, instead of having a complete picture on their end of the argument, they have also received a picture with no causality. If you look at all of the events described in the Bible, you get one after the other without, without a cause. It's God doing this, this and that. And then God punishing people for inexplicable reasons. There is no reason except for God's will. Ends up being 100% God's will throughout the Old Testament until modern day. So they have left children with an incomplete picture and no causality, no reason to explain one event leading to the next. So as I said, causality is so important here. You have to you have to know why this next event happens. The real physical reason, not not the anything else reason. So the first thing that happens, you know. The first dawn of the first memory. What? Why did it happen? Well, you have you have this in the Bible. You have uh, let there be light moments. Um, the 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 day that uh, the first day essentially, and the six day creation narrative ends up being a redaction of the original narrative, which spans many thousands of years, many hundreds of events, and leads all the way up until uh, essentially modern times, which. Modern civilization started about, according to Fiumenko and others, started just over a thousand years ago. That was when creation ended, essentially. So it wasn't six days, it was thousands of years. Mm. Um, But the order of operations is essentially correct. You have um, the first memory is light, light appearing. And with light, the reason for remembering things at all, life. Why wasn't there life before light? Here's why. Um, What you have in the very beginning is a brown dwarf Saturn. Why is it a brown dwarf? Because it's not necessarily a gas giant planet with the rings as we're used to today. It's more like a giant blob of multi-layered plasma sheaths, uh, like up to seven or 12 layers of negative, positive, alternating charged plasma sheaths, very huge in diameter. And um, within that, you have all of this mass, a seedling that will eventually become a planet that has no energy passing through it. This is darkness. And... um, yeah, there might have been life back then, but not life to the point that we know it, where you're walking around and enjoying the sun, and not the kind of life that would ever have any memories and would be wanting to write things down. So what caused people to want 
to write things down as the first memory. Um, the spectacle of that first creation moment uh, happened all at once. Um, Saturn, brown dwarf Saturn, connects to our sun, this, our, our solar system, and, for the first time, and gets stuck in orbit. Why stuck? Because Saturn, brown dwarf, as, a, as an electric object, and remember, we're talking about uh, the electric universe theory here. I know I didn't cover that, but that's okay. Universe. This is uh, Velkovsky's um, work. Exactly. Velkovsky, Ralph Jurgens. Let's um, just real many, quick, many real quick, ahead, yeah. give us, let's give the audience like a brief definition of electric universe theory. The way they taught us is simple Newtonian physics, that everything in the universe was created by gravity and gravity alone. That gravity essentially is defined as every atom in the entire universe pulling on every other atom in the entire universe. And it is so hard to write down as an equation that they've never actually made any equations for it. Um, this might come as a surprise. A lot of people see a lot of equations out there for Newtonian physics, but it's actually, you look closer, you find out that Newtonian physics are um, isolated equations, one planet to another, ignoring every other variable out in the galaxy. Cannot do that. Here's yeah, we're using the, it as a model and assuming everything else is the same. Exactly. It can't. You can't just ignore the entire universe and just isolate two planets and just say, here's the gravity. But here's where Newtonian physics falls apart. And you can look this up on Wikipedia. It's called the three-body problem or the nth-body problem. If you try to calculate three planets or more, if you try to calculate the gravity between them, you cannot. There is no way to do that. It's impossible. Might be surprising, right? Like the, what happened? Like the, math, the math break, breaks down or something? Or um, Well, uh, if you understand calculus, you're going to have to have sort of an input and output. You can get a derivative of an equation, an antiderivative, if you add other variables to it. But you can never find an equation that outputs more than one variable. In other words, the variable of each, the gravity influence on each planet beyond two. So the gravity influence on three or four or five, there is no equation that outputs those variables. You'd have to calculate gravity on one, and then from there calculate the next. In fact, that's how simulators do it, and simulators are wrong. So uh, just, just really briefly, Newtonian physics was created by Isaac Newton, who was, um, as many people know, is one of those Vatican guys who was um, grandmaster of the, I don't remember all those names. Yeah. Um, he was a very religious guy. And mm -hmm. his his entire science well, came from the Vatican. If you don't believe me, go watch Angels and Demons, that movie. They make it very clear. Right. I mean, the Vatican. Big Bang came from, from the Vatican, Big did Bang. it not? Yes, it did. In the 18th century, uh, uh, Swedenborg, I believe he did. Yeah. That guy was trying to describe... He, the inventor of the bang, Big Bang was trying to describe why Jesus showed up on Earth and no other planets in the universe. That's literally the motivation for his papers. So we just got to sort of, you know, remember that when we're talking about NASA. They're not really yep. all that yeah, and secular JPL, as we want to. Yeah, <laughs> so and Jack get back Parsons. To electric universe. Right. So electric universe is totally opposite. It says forget gravity. In fact, gravity is, a, is an artifact of electromagnetism itself. Um, if you have all kinds of electric forces occurring in the universe. All of those add up to gravity here on earth, but it's not the earth pulling down on us. It's actually all of that electromagnetic pressure pushing down on us. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to know more about that, uh, check out uh, Wallace Thornhill's presentations. He's just excellent at describing all of this in detail. So electric universe simply, and I wasn't sure at all, was I? That's okay. Is, uh, I wasn't either. Seeing the yeah. Seeing the universe in electromagnetic positive and negative pull and push, not gravity, but electricity. So, um, so to to the Saturn brown dwarf, we would expect it to just keep orbiting the sun with Newtonian physics, but it's not what happens. It gets stuck, and energy starts flowing between 
the Saturn brown dwarf and our sun. It comes from the sun through the through the brown dwarf and out um, into the outer outer end of the sun's electromagnetic field and back. Um, so this this connection was sudden. It was instant. It had an immediate impact on the surrounding environment. So let me describe the kind of impact. Saturn connects to the sun. The outer sheath plasma layer of Saturn, which is negative, is exposed to the sun's positive environment. Um, Ralph Jerkins believes that suns are negative. Wallace Thornhill believes suns are positive. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's, it's emerging science. No one's it. Is. It really is. Um, yeah. So anyway, what we do know from many authors, many descriptions, is that the outer shell of Saturn tore off from that electromagnetic property and exploded into its own gas giant, into several gas giants, actually. Um, uh, this was the creation of gas giant Jupiter. Right away, when Saturn hit the sun, it created gas giant Jupiter. Um, Whoa. This, uh, this reference of S Saturn, otherwise called Kronos, mm -hmm. um, creating its children or referencing its children as all of the planets, including Zeus, Jupiter, is uh, found in all, um, all indigenous cultures that recorded these stories. They always agree that the, the original guy, Kronos, or whatever the name is, created a bunch of children, and at some point in the near future, gobbled them all up. That, that's the story. It's, it's hard to understand. You find it in Sumer as well. Hey, exactly, Sumer. You got it. So in, in the Sumerian tablets, you'll see certain pictures um, of a mountain and a wheel on top of the mountain. This is uh, the cosmic mountain. You'll see this picture in all civilizations, um, and you'll see this picture in modern day. Um, the idea is that we're, uh, they're recording a picture on rock or paper or whatever of what they were seeing from Earth. On Earth, they're looking up on the North Pole, and they're seeing um, the, the gas giant Saturn stuck in the Northern Hemisphere fixed. And um, the Earth was slowly rotating um, in a, with that position fixed. Uh, light and day was coming from the bottom, going to the top, and then back to the bottom. The sun was not rising from the east and west. Which, in fact, we could not see the sun yet. The sun was hidden behind the configuration. So let me describe the configuration. Um, from Earth, if you're looking up at the North Pole, you'd see, um, you see the gas giant Saturn as an immense circle in the sky, taking up the sky. But in front of Saturn, you'd see Venus. It was also a gas giant or dwarf or smaller gas planet, uh, not rock. And it was taking various shapes. It was making either a star-shaped pattern a circle known as the Ouroboros, or um, various shapes um, known in antiquity. In front of Venus, squarely in the center of Venus, was Mars. The reason for this was the collinear configuration through an immense amplitude of energy was forcing all of the planets into a single straight line. Um, this doesn't happen anymore, obviously. We don't see these things today, so we don't understand it. But, the, the, um, but this energy was much more powerful than the energy that passes through planets these days. It created life in abundance. It made the plants grow in size. It made the creatures on the plants grow in size in a very short time. Um, depending on which planet or realm you were living on, you would actually experience a different rate of growth over the hundreds of years of that golden age. Um, so we do have people on other other bodies at this point. Right. Um, the best reference for that would be Norse mythology. They describe the pillar as the tree, the, the tree of life or the Yggdrasil. The, um, so Norse mythology describes in the origin story uh, various realms, and they imply you can go to these realms. You can travel across the Bifrost and get to them. 
um, the realms seem to correlate with planets, although it's important to remember that they are, they're actually realms and not individual planets that they're referring to. So what I mean is one realm was on the north hemisphere of Mars, a different realm was on the southern hemisphere of Mars, yet another realm was on the north hemisphere of Earth, and yet another on the southern. So you see what I'm saying? Um, humans, or, or whatever, back then could not see these planets as they look. They only see them from their perspective, tiny, tiny, like an ant looking at a kitchen. And from our perspective, we don't see planets. We see uh, horizon lines. So these are realms to these um, to these indigenous life forms. I see what you're saying. And, and more importantly than that, each realm is different. Um, one realm in particular, uh, Jotunheim, I believe, was the southern hemisphere of Mars. And that meant that um, it was in between Earth and Mars in sort of the coldest place of the linear configuration. Uh, it was safe and there's there's energy and everything, but compared to other places, it was cold. Jotunheim was the frost location. And there were giants there. They're called the frost giants. Uh, that's most likely because they're humans that grew at a different rate being on a smaller planet. On oh, the northern hemisphere of oh. Mars, right. On the northern hemisphere of Mars, you have, you have essentially uh, what was described as Atlantis. I'm not going to be definitive about the name Atlantis because I don't know anything about exact locations, but I'll tell you that it's most likely on the North Pole of Mars. And this is because this is the highest place in the configuration that you could possibly go to and still set foot. That That is the like right below heaven. If you were to go any higher, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter, I don't believe that you would be able to stand or live in those locations. Maybe, I don't know, but there's no literature saying that. So that means the North Pole of Mars ends up being the highest place, the most brilliant place to live. The, the Asgard is what it's called, you know, right below heaven. And in all of the images you see in North mythology, you see like a little heavenly, um, like a floating island or something at the very top right, center. Right, right. So uh, you got people living up there that were essentially on top of technology, on top of knowledge. They considered themselves, I believe, to be the tree of knowledge. They wanted everyone to go to them when they wanted anything. And when, when this golden age came to an end by natural means, this configuration fell apart and that Northern hemisphere perfect location fell into Mars and collapsed. Um, they, this was in essence, the tree of knowledge being hidden as, as every literature disagrees. Yep. The tree of life was uh, someone ate from the tree of knowledge and God hid the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Now we don't know where they are anymore, right? We right. all think they're here and there in movies. No, the tree was the configuration itself. And when it was gone, it was gone forever. So this was the perfect age, right? This is not a time that we can relate to. Mm -hmm. uh, none of the paintings, none of the literature we can understand, frankly. Um, they say that people didn't die. They say people transferred between life and death right. um, without dying, stuff like that. It's hard for us to get what they meant. They also described the Bifrost as a thing that you can teleport uh, through instantly. Some references for that and some others don't reference that. But there are references that the Ark of the Covenant is the same thing something you can use to teleport instantly from one location to another. So there are references of an instantaneous teleport. Um, this isn't advanced technology. This is an alien technology. This is the nature of quantum energy passing through the planets. So I'm, I'm describing natural quantum gates forming on their own, something you could literally walk up into. And as soon as you walk into these areas, um, well, if they're unstable, then they're dangerous. But if you make them stable, and here's how you make them stable, you build something around them. You got... Uh, ancient artifacts like the Stonehenge, and nobody understands what they are. They say timepieces. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, no, no, the Stonehenge makes a teleport stable. You you uh, concentrate the energy around the rocks, 
and then you walk through the path, and as you get to the center of it, you appear on the other side, the other Stonehenge. Um, it's very simple. Anyone could, that could lift rocks could make it. So we don't need aliens. We don't need technology. We just need primordial times. Again, I could be wrong about this, but it makes well, sense if you look deep into quantum physics. There actually is some teleportation natures in quantum physics. Go ahead. Yeah, I strongly feel that, you know, you said, you know, I might be wrong about this. You very well could be wrong about some of the details along the way, but I feel like your mission is in line with that. It's okay. Because yeah, I want to hear what's right. We want, we want to hear what's right. We want to hear what pieces of this Ari has right because there's got to be Please. a good amount of it because you're building off of the shoulders of giants. you're standing on the shoulders of giants like velikovsky yes. and stuff like that where yes. you know if you read laird scranton's books about velikovsky's work there's no questioning this man was suppressed he was a a very brilliant man with amazing ideas that was just taken away like i i, I think i wrote down on the outline like why don't we all know his name Velikovsky. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? It's he's just stricken from our history, in, not in a, a direct way, just in that traditional kind of uh, it goes away kind of way. Yeah, you can blame Carl Sagan for that. Not to get too much into it, look into Absolutely. Carl Sagan's history to see that he stole all of Velikovsky's thunder. In fact, nobody taught planets in school before Velikovsky brought it into the public. Nobody cared about planets. Oh, all of a sudden, so, someone had to speak up and defend it. Someone had to. Yeah, then NASA came out. Mm. So yeah, let's uh, let's uh, get back to the timeline here. Um, sure thing. Uh, so this golden age lasted 930 years, but the years were 225 days long each. This meant the whole configuration was traveling around the sun in 225 days. That's faster than the current. So a lot of people will say, hey, that's impossible. You got it all wrong. Um, well, now it's time to keep an open mind about the electric universe theory because it is possible that a bigger configuration might actually end up rotating faster than a smaller one as a result of having to collect more energy from the sun and use spill the energy out in one way or another. So mm -hmm. um, my theory, one of my theories here is that every time the configuration got smaller, the years got longer. I didn't see Jano Cook actually say this anywhere, but he made it very clear that the, the length of the year kept jumping, giant jumps uh, periodically until it finally reached 365 that we know today. Um, so the first big jump was the end of the collinear configuration. This was when all the planets had absorbed as much energy as they're going to. Earth had, it had come considerably bigger. I believe that Mars and Mercury both came from the Earth. I believe that both of them uh, uh, sort of were created in a Z-pinch point within the Birkeland currents above and below the Earth as they draw material from the Earth over hundreds of years. So it's sort of like imagine a small floating island on both sides that keeps forming and growing and growing until finally when the whole configuration comes apart, Mars and Mercury are planets, but they are the only other rock planets in our solar system. Uh, Venus yeah. is not a rock planet. They say it is a rock planet. They say probes have gotten to it. That's okay. I don't believe that Venus has any rocks or mountains on it. We'll see someday. We'll see. I, I um, You know, just not to be kind of cornball about it, but like I remember hmm. being a kid and looking at all the planets and always forgetting that Venus was a rock planet as well. Every time, right, right, at, right. Least the, at least the image of it, uh, I was always like, well, no, that looks like a gas giant or a gas right. mini. Once you consider, factor in the ancient testimony of the Ouroboros, it is impossible to consider that Venus has any rock on it. Really? That's at least the size of the planet because they say that this planet wrapped around the Earth and ate its own tail. Um, so that could be wrong mm. or NASA could be wrong. It doesn't really matter <laughs> to me. My point, my point is that I see a, I see a, well, here's actually, this is my theory, because I haven't heard this anywhere. Um, I actually see a, a sim symmetry here between 
Mercury and Mars. They seem to be absolutely rock planets that formed right alongside the Earth and on either side. By, by looking at Norse mythology, it appears that they described Mercury as Muspelheim on the Southern Hemisphere. They specifically said Southern Hemisphere and specifically said that it was the hottest place, the hottest realm available. They said that um, only people that could stand it in this region were actually people that already lived there. Anyone else would never go near it. So it also in the Southern Hemisphere, it was seen the stick man figure. So essentially what we're talking about is on the Southern Hemisphere, you got Mercury and then uh, Neptune in the middle and then Uranus at the very end, which is why it's called Uranus. Um, but Mars was a gas, it was, was a rock planet and the other two were gas giants. Um, the rock planet therefore absorbed the energy differently than the gas giants did. And Mercury was spilling liquid metal onto the earth. That was in the testimony. Giant pieces of metal would freeze in space and crash into the earth in weird shapes. And no one would know what to make of it. On the Northern hemisphere, Mars would drop sulfur onto the earth. If you were to travel from one side of the earth to the other, and this would make you a philosopher, you might decide to gather up the stones from one side, mercury, and the stones from the other side, sulfur, and put them together. If you do this, if you combine mercury and sulfur, you get gold. If oh, you alchemy. combine red, red phosphorus and mercury, treated with sulfur, you get gold. And if you use white phosphorus and mercury, you get silver. Gold and silver are not elements. You can make them. So wow. that's the philosopher's stone. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all right there in the origin story. So to get back to it, um, Mercury and Mars sort of formed on either side in different temperatures because one was on the sun side, one was not. Um, and then the whole configuration came apart. Um, what happened next, when the linear, collinear configuration came apart, the planets were still intertwined with each other with these invisible Brooklyn currents that are sort of acting like umbilical cords connecting each planet. They were originally connected from north to south pole like an array of batteries in a series. And now they're being connected in parallel as an array of batteries. If you know the difference, um, parallel um, provides a much weaker amplitude at a much higher uh, voltage. Mm -hmm. And so the planets um, create a, a circular configuration. They start um, orbiting in a circular fashion. However, they were not yet orbiting the sun. They're orbiting each other. So we went from collinear configuration into round table, nonlinear configuration. So I say round table because it was the Knights of the Round Table myth. You had King Arthur, the, the, the biggest king of all, Jupiter. Mm -hmm. And the, the reign of Jupiter was a um, stabilizing force, kept everything in line, brought prosperity, you know, all the kind of stuff. Uh, the, um, the Holy Grail was the collinear configuration. And when the Holy Grail was lost the Knights of the Round Table essentially were the ones commissioned with finding it again. So this is a metaphor for the planets no longer having that prosperity yet. Now, now we're in a different time. Now um, we have um, seasons. We have uh, you know long winters. We have summers. We have droughts. They weren't used to these kinds of things. Um, they were living in a paradise, and suddenly they're living in, um, in very difficult times. So they regard these planets as the deities of the time and, and Romans, Greeks, all these guys considered the pantheon to have many gods in them with Zeus being the greatest God after it defeated Kronos and took its reign. So Saturn diminishes into the background and in, in, into the outer solar system and Jupiter becomes, you know, the reigning king. So, so King Arthur, Jupiter wasn't like other Kings. He sort of sat at a round table that was equal to all the other knights, right? So he was roundtabling with Mercury, Venus, Earth, which is us, 
and Mars, Mars being Lancelot, the greatest knight, no other knight could compare to him. Um, and then a bunch of other stuff that was also floating with us, debris and whatnot. Um, so, so people regarded this deity as different from the original creator deity, the one that hates children, the one that punished people for disobeying him. Um, they, said, they said the nature of Zeus was the savior, the Messiah. And we see messiahs throughout history. Buddha was a messiah, but I believe Buddha was Mercury. I'm not sure yet. Um, yeah, Horus was a messiah uh, for the Egyptians. Horus was later uh, combined with the historic Jesus to form Jesus the Messiah. Moses, which has the word Zeus in it, is a messiah. Jesus, of course, has Zeus in it as well. Um, wow. So this, so this was the messiah period. Yeah, Zeus, right? Hmm. So this was the messiah period. Everyone's kind of counting on, on Jupiter Zeus to uh, maintain stability on Earth. Um, a bunch of stuff happened, a bunch of stories, Knights of the Round Table, uh, for example, uh, Mars and Venus keep causing cataclysm, and they eventually cause the breaking up of the Round Table, just like they said in, in the Arthurian legend. Um, but it wasn't a love affair. It was um, the planets were constantly vying for for a, a balance within this really unbalanced, unstable, nonlinear configuration, which caused periodic jumps in the year, and it caused random cataclysms on Earth. Um, Eventually, though, this entire configuration would come apart, and, and Jupiter would go off into its final orbit, and we would encounter cataclysms with just Mars for a while. Mars would be hitting us over and over, and then eventually Mars disappeared into its final orbit, and we have the fixed orbit we have today. So I jumped ahead a little bit. Um, let me go back to the Messiah story with Jupiter. Sure. Um, so let's talk about pyramids. Um, yeah. During the uh, yeah during the whole Egyptian Exodus story, we have this Egyptian Empire. The Egyptian Empire is essentially the first empire that we know of in history that has existed. Um, what about other empires? Sumer? Go ahead. Right, right. Yeah. See, I was about to say. Okay, go uh, ahead. A lot of people. A lot of people say. A lot of people say. You know, there's all these other empires, mm. and that's true. Um, it's just that other people like uh, Fomenko might actually disagree and say that we're seeing one story in modern times redacted into ancient history. Uh, so from what I can tell, it really does look like Egypt was the first empire. Am okay. I wrong? Okay. Right. But let's expand this a little bit. It's not just Egypt because we have pyramids all over the world. And a lot of people don't realize that almost all of these pyramids have been built either on the, on the equatorial zone of the earth or on the, on the poles. Well, we've heard about pyramids in the poles. That could be, who knows? But yeah, we do yeah. know for a fact that all of the pyramids were built in a very short time along the equatorial zones of the earth in antiquity. No one knows why, and nobody knows what the pyramids are. They profess right. to know, but they really, really have not figured it out. And uh, just to clarify for just to clarify for the listeners that the even the foremost Egyptian Egyptologists in the world that work all over the world will say that. They will say that they have no idea. They will say that right. before, I believe it's like 26, 28. Now, obviously, if this is true, what you're saying, even their story's screwed up. But they're saying we only have real, realistic history from Egypt up to like 2600 BC, and that's it. And beyond that, it's it. all a mystery. Yep, that's right. And they've looked at they've looked at every theory um, plausible, like a uh, you know uh, pharaoh thrones. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so many questions that raised from that, like. Why I built it like that? Why, um, you know, they didn't have any other use for them besides that? Why, why they built so many? There's, there's hundreds of pyramids. They're yeah. not all, um, they're not all, they couldn't have all been pharaoh tombs. 
there's a lot of grave sites found nearby the um, the pyramid site, which are clearly graves. Yep. So then why weren't they buried in the pyramid? There's a lot of questions. questions. The, the whole Valley um, of the Kings, man. Like that, that's, I mean, the, the reason why we call it that. I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous. The, none yeah. of, I don't think we've ever found a pharaoh buried in a pyramid. I think we actually just nah. found one conveniently. Well, we also just found some new Dead Sea Scrolls. So let's find out if Ooh. that's true or not. Yeah. So, um, so um, what are the pyramids? What are they? Since they're found all over the earth, uh, you know, they weren't pharaohs' tombs in South America, obviously, mm -hmm. or in Iraq. Um, so let's get down to it. Uh, the first reason why people built giant structures in antiquity was because they were dealing with catastrophe, cataclysms. The, the first one was the Great Deluge that occurred right at the end of the Golden Age. But there were actually three Great Deluges and many other similar cataclysms that were just um, that they that caused the human race to constantly react and change their culture. Mm -hmm. uh, the most obvious one is the floods because they caused humans to build ziggurats um, and possibly pyramids. One of the only reasons ever given that ever made sense to me is that the pyramids were built to survive floods. But of course, why would they do that on the very high mountains of the Andes? Um, there's, you know, that can't be the only reason. Um, yeah, the ziggurats certainly were an attempt to survive floods, but they also had another purpose. The ziggurats um, channeled energy, um, energy that was very abundant back then, energy that was passing through the nonlinear circular configuration, uh, still had enough energy in there to uh, communicate between towers and maybe teleport, maybe not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but they built the ziggurats right after the Golden Age ended, thinking it was the smartest thing to do, using the technology that they had learned from, from Atlantis and so forth, and it did not work. The problem with all the ziggurats was that uh, it channeled too much energy too directly and caused essentially um, a repeat of history with the Tower of Babel. First Tower of Babel was a collinear configuration itself. But then oh. as humans, yeah, it came apart. But as humans built their own towers, they realized that history was peeing themselves. They're losing their memory and they couldn't function or speak while they're on the towers. This whole idea of Babel. Why was that? Because they're getting hit on the head by a high amplitude of electromagnetic energy. Um, so they abandoned the towers, gravity increased, and the towers collapsed. And they just, within a couple hundred years, they said no more towers. What worked out by purely trial and error was building pyramids. They, um, they built the pyramids in the same fashion as the towers. They used sensitive people who uh, sort, of, sort of can see electromagnetic energy, uh, they do exist, to find the ley lines on Earth. Or they mm -hmm. could have used instruments, but people are good enough. Ley lines are electromagnetic uh, lines that cross, creating sort of a torrent energy on the ground. Mm -hmm. You can find them in modern day. There's a place in Mexico, sorry, New Mexico. You go there, cell phones, watches, compasses, nothing works in this one oh, location. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That kind of place. Um, Does this sorry, have anything to do there. with, uh, do you, I'm not sure if you, have you heard anything uh, about like the uh, quartz, quartz crystal uh, concentration in these areas by any chance? I've, I'd be very yeah. curious about that. Yeah, um, I believe quartz crystal was one of the early technologies of the Atlantis days. Mm -hmm. um, they would they had allegedly built a emerald uh, entire city, and they used crystals, emeralds, to store uh, knowledge information. Mm -hmm. uh, briefly on this, what I believe they had invented was the infinitely indexed database. This is something where if you tune into a specific frequency. You can write data with that frequency into an object like a quartz crystal or water, anything that um, anything that stores energy in a pure wave form. Mm -hmm. You can combine waves infinitely in an infinite resolution and 
tune that energy back out. So they um, they essentially created what we're sort of about to invent very soon, the so-called quantum computer um, that has no capacity limits. And these gems have survived until modern times. I believe, as Greg Carlwood pointed out, um, that um, Joseph Smith of the Mormons had such a tablet, something that actually gave him access to the entire origin story going, you know, and that, you know, no one believed him and stuff. It, not gold. Gold doesn't do anything. It's, it's, it's quartz crystal that stores information. Mm -hmm. so, and that's, so yeah. yeah, that's um, a fact. And we're learning a, that that is happened. Like that information is everywhere, man. Like I'm hearing, <laughs> I'm hearing stuff about, you know, quartz crystal being able to do all these things that used to be re reserved just for new age, crazy people. Right. And then right. now it seems to be science that's meeting it in the middle. And there's no denying it, but you're only finding it here and there on kind of fringe networks and stuff. Exactly. You don't have anyone saying anything conclusive about it. I think that's because um, it's classified. Um, you basically have this quantum chip and um, uh, China has been sort of teasing us about it, how they already have it and had it 10 years ago. Really? Um, that just means that this is a, um, well, I've seen those articles. This oh. is um, clearly a legal issue now. Um, they're not going to talk about this technology until it's no longer um, classified. IP right. controlled. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump back to pyramids. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This is one of my big theories, the so-called pyramidal empire. I call it that because I believe that pyramids were key to maintaining an empire in those old days. How do we know there was an empire? Well, the Egyptian empire, all of its weird rituals and its notions of slavery are completely unique, and you won't find that anywhere else in history in great detail. You'll find a bunch of uh, assumptions by modern historians that such empires were common and that that's just the nature of humans. I do not believe that. It hmm. turns out that it's very hard to maintain a slave empire. You have to get the slaves to believe in your religion too. The whole right. religion. Well, I think we look back in history and we just assume that people were more primitive. So they had to yeah. only use violence to control their <laughs> slaves as if, right. as if I've said this on the podcast before, as if ancient man was any dumber than us like they were the we had the same brain so what you need to keep what people need to keep in mind is that this is us being told what to do would right. we stand by well we'd have to be coerced right right if we're susceptible to it in modern times and we are then we were susceptible to it in those times so but here's the thing here's the thing we're not so easily fooled today uh we don't necessarily walk into a church and just get converted there's something special happening back then um, that was being taken advantage of. Okay. Um, the origin story, the, the uh, golden age, all of these miraculous things had just ended. And if you hadn't been alive, then you wouldn't have known anything about them. That's, that is now privileged information. Mm -hmm. if, they, if we were to misuse that information just slightly, they will completely dominate people um, psychologically, religiously. And here's how they did it. Um, I believe that during the Atlantis days, um, the inhabitants of Atlantis who essentially started out, you know, normal people, pure motives and everything, became corrupt only because they didn't want to share their technology with everyone else in the world. And they sort of came up with a notion of how to fake deities back then. Um, this whole story was redacted into the story of the Wizard of Oz. It might sound weird, but if you look at the history of the Wizard of Oz, yeah, the original stories, they look like they're heavily redacted by something else. The book came out in 1900, a very dubious time for books. The, the play... Wizard of Oz came out in Broadway in 1902 and was a major hit. 
anytime that happens, you really just got to look at this and say, what are they covering up? Right. So the Wizard of Oz is an exact story describing how somebody might fake a deity using advanced technology. Um, which technology? Well, let's talk about these pyramids. Um, if energy can be um, coalesced in a pyramid, and this energy, this quantum energy, um, can be channeled between locations, then another pyramid essentially can talk to the first. And how do you do that? Well, um, again, we're talking about other times, not times like today, where stone would resonate energy at a much higher amplitude than we're used to. And if you were to stand in these pyramidal chambers and you know yell or talk or scream or even whisper, it's so totally possible that in the other chambers and the other pyramids, you would hear those voices as well. So they figured out a very neat trick to completely simulate deities, which were the deities, they were the stone idols inside the pyramidal chambers. Anyone that came into those pyramids in ceremonies or, or requesting help would be required to talk to these stone deities. Deities would talk back. If they would put their hands on the deities, they would actually have a telepathic connection to telepaths on the other side. So anyone that wasn't wise to the trick might actually think that this Egyptian empire represented the so-called uh, invisible god. Um, but it wasn't so invisible yet because you can actually go up there to the chamber and talk to him. So that's pretty convincing if you can't figure out how they're doing it. And I believe that they convinced all their slaves that um, that it, well, it wasn't the invisible god yet. It was the visible god. They could see, still see the planets in the sky at the time. But they're telling them that the priests of the of the pyramids represented those gods. Right. You slaves, you better do what we say, or those gods are going to come and do more cataclysm, like you witnessed, you know, fifty years ago or whatever. They had so, the physical so, event there to actually threaten right, right. them with. Exactly. And if you look at the story of the Exodus and why it's still remembered today, why is it one of those redacted or erased stories? Is because something so significant occurred that changed everyone's minds from this fully dominated slave mentality to this are you kidding me you mm. can't fool us anymore freedom <laughs> so all this happened during the exodus and the exodus story occurred over many um, over a thousand years um the uh, the first thing that occurred was uh the planet jupiter catching on fire right there the big savior the messiah sitting on the throne jupiter's throne was created by the plasma outpouring coma tail below the southern hemisphere of jupiter it looked like the planet was sitting on a throne, like like a king on the mountain. <laughs> so when Jupiter caught on fire for 20 straight years, this was an unmistakable sign that everyone on Earth saw it. Why did it happen? Jupiter became fully exposed to our sun's electromagnetic fields, <sighs> no longer being protected by one of those Saturn absolute sheets. That's the technical reason. The point is that every civilization on Earth remembers this event. So it's unmistakable that it happened, um, not just in Egyptian or, or Judeo-Christian. Um, and the point is that it lasted 20 years. And as a result of this event, people minds, people's minds started to change. The mm. priests, of course, they all had to react and say, oh, oh this, we represent this too. We, we know what's going on. That right. is the burning bush. That is Trying to co-opt it. Right, exactly, exactly. You got it immediately. And they're saying, oh, we know exactly what's going on. This God's angry at you again, again. <laughs> and, and the people just have no choice. They're just like, all right, you know. Uh, okay. They own every aspect of our lives. It's just like COVID. They're going to tell us. It's literally what we're do. going through right now. We're just going, oh, what exactly. are we going to do about it? Let's just try to be good people and come together. And uh... Exactly. And that, therefore, knowing and understanding this history is the only way that we're ever going to understand what's happening to us in the present. So it's obviously repeating. 
It's interesting that we are all told that we see it in movies all the time. You know, oh, if you know, if you don't learn history, you're doomed to repeat it. But we like we always just look at that as a hallmark card, and I say that a lot on this podcast. So many things are just looked at as hallmark cards. Maybe it's that predictive programming because it's it's more than you know. It's it means something. It's all all these little things link right back to the original part of this. Right. This one quote that I found, George Santayana. He said, history is a pack of lies about events that never happened, told by people who weren't there. And then in another, another paper, another paper, he says, another quote, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. There so this it guy says history is a lie, and he says we're condemned to repeat it if we don't understand it. So put those wow. quotes together and you get the full picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about that? We only hear one of those quotes all the time. Exactly. The next big event that caused the exodus from the empire uh, was um, was the passing of the Angel of Death. The Angel of Death was the comet Venus. The, the, it was a comet. Uh, Venus had recently been consumed by Jupiter, as the same thing happened with Saturn, um, and it had been recently spit out. Now, the priests, again, could not predict any of these events, and the inability to predict events is the key notion that loses the faith of the people. The people are not going to be fooled by that. They're right. going to be fooled by um, so everything else they could take, but they can't take that. You guys did not see this coming. And here's a real big issue with the, the psychology of it. If you look at Egyptian belief system uh, before the empire fell, you'll see that everyone worshipped something called Osiris. Yes. Osiris, the triform god, was essentially made up of three parts. Um, that was Saturn, Venus, and Mars. Although they call it um, Horus, Isis, and uh, something else. Um, so, right. Uh, well, um, or no, is part. it, um, uh, or is it Horus, Isis? Yeah, I think it's raw. No, yeah, I think you got it. You're right. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm kind of sketchy on these things, but yeah, um, me too. I understand. Too. Right. But I understand why this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because the triform God was one God and also known as a Trinity in Christianity came as Trinity, Trinity uh, sorry, Christianity was completely adopted from Egypt beliefs, the same one. Mm-hmm. So when the triform God, which was supposed to be one deity, came apart because venus was ejected then this that was literally the god coming apart and that is the story of Isis being chopped up into pieces and having his body buried all over the place that's right Um, so so you look at that story and you say what is the psychology on the people well not only did the priests get exposed as not being able to predict events but their god came apart you know i mean how much more embarrassing (laughs) can it be for these guys um one thing a theory that i have i have not seen anywhere else is that um, I think um, the Sphinx, which was originally represented as having a nose and a long beard, had the nose and the long beard chopped out. We, we saw this in cartoons, in movies, in the Aladdin Disney movie. We keep seeing somebody accidentally chopping the nose off, and they're like, oops, didn't mean to do that. Um, in reality, I think a better explanation is that vandals who were willing to destroy a religious icon would, did so in a careful way because vandals would be afraid of, of religion just like anyone else. And they cut off the nose, which was um, Venus, which was spit out, and the Mars, which was the long beard. They cut off those two pieces of Osiris, leaving no nose and no beard to this day. And nobody's bothered to repair the Sphinx either. So huh. I think that it all, it all ties together with that region of the earth, all of those people completely losing faith in centralized religion. And one other thing to remember is that this story is entirely an African story, the Egyptian story, mm-hmm. without the other pyramids involved. Yep. And it was stolen from Africa. 
later. The whole thing about the Jews and their entire origin, everything was stolen from a story that happened in Africa mm-hmm. and, and spread all the way down to Ethiopia. The story of the kingdom of Solomon was in Ethiopia and it was theirs. It was not, it was not belonging to anyone in Palestine. Uh, this is all proven by Fomenko. Mm-hmm. So, um, so essentially, the Exodus story to me represents a moment in history when the deep state or whatever you call them completely lost control and could not get it back. There was just nothing they could do about it. This was a disaster for them. Mm-hmm. And and just one disaster after the next. The final disaster, which uh, after the comet Venus passed over the Earth, um, Venus created a bunch of plagues, uh, locusts, drought, uh, brimstone falling from the sky as hail, um, they actually dropped mana on people and they could eat the mana. It's just like a bunch of weird miraculous events happening. Um, but also killed the firstborn of Egypt. Like, wow, how much worse can this get? Killed the firstborn of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Sorry, I should say. Not not all the firstborns. That didn't happen. Just the Pharaoh. The just just one. So un- yeah, so unmistakable that that the God might have been mad at the Pharaoh or something. And then the Egyptian kingdom has 200 years of extreme drought. Um, worse than anything we experienced today. That everyone had to leave. So this was just really, really bad for their empire, and they never got that control back mm-hmm. until modern times. Um, the only re- reason I connect them to modern times is because there seems to be this huge um, need to bring everything back to Egypt. We have Egyptian symbols all over the place, you know, in D.C. and London, in the Vatican. We have all the uh, obelisks. We have um, dollar bill. We have you know all those Egyptian symbols on them with the pyramids and the all-seeing eye of Horus. Uh, so what is this deal about Egypt? Why does the deep state care so much about them? You think they would just move on. And the reason is because I do believe that Egypt was the only time in history when real slavery was ever really fully achieved. After that, the only thing we could ever do was copy the Egyptian empire. That's what they've been doing this whole time. Christianity copied the Egyptian empire. They brought back baptism, circumcision. Yep. That's a big one. Circumcision is a huge one. They brought back usury, another huge one. Everyone overlooks usury. Usury was banned by every civilization on earth. And it sort right. of came back, you know. So um, so everything that you saw established in Egypt before the fall of the kingdom has been brought back in modern times. And that's what everyone calls the deep state. Um, so I believe that what, what occurred back then was the collinear, or non-linear configuration finally came apart and all the pyramids failed. They stopped functioning anymore. And after that, uh, there was no way to, to simulate deities, also no way to control the empire. They couldn't even communicate anymore. So... The, the real breaking up of the old empire came naturally from just natural um, evolution of the solar system. Um, and it was only in their own perspective that they considered this to be God's judgment. So they ended up inventing um, a connection between their own upper class elite Egyptian deep state and modern people today. That whole connection is called the Israelites. Hmm. Um, that's why that whole thing is so controversial because when you talk about the existence of Jews and Israelites in ancient times, it's impossible to not conflate that with the belief systems imposed on us by this slave empire, this Egyptian mm-hmm. empire. Hey, just, to, just to ask a question real quick. Do you know anything about, so I've read into the whole idea that Israel, you know, you break it apart and it means ISIS, Ra and El, the Canaanite God. And then I've also read, uh, in depth, how that's totally bullshit. That's not accurate at all. But we are talking about all the same kind of themes and characters here. Does that fit in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here's another part of the story. Um, you got um, 
Ra, as you mentioned, was the name of one of the names of of the sun god at the time, the sun being Saturn. Right. And when the Egyptian empire fell, Saturn no longer became the god, the, the central god, and and they changed the name of God to Amun-Ra. You can verify this yep. anywhere. It's very, um, but everyone everyone disagrees on what Amun-Ra means. Um, the definition uh, to me uh, that that I keep saying over and over is the invisible God. Um, that's what Amen means. Amen means the invisible. It, you add it to the end of a prayer because you're referencing something you don't see. Right. So why would they change it from Ra to Amun-Ra? That has to mean that they changed it from visible to invisible. Um, one of the stories we hear is about the Ark of the Covenant. We hear about this special Ark that contains God within it. And for some reason, they had to take this Ark out of Egypt and bring it with them to their next empire that they created. Um, so what was going on here? Was it really God inside? No. But this Ark, and there's many references to this, appears to be some sort of communication technology. Where on, if you bring it to certain locations at certain times, you will hear something talking from inside. So essentially, Amun-Ra, or Invisible God, was the need for the deep state to preserve their system by turning God invisible in that Exodus moment. They had no choice. God was gone. And and to bring it back in modern times is to actually convince everyone that there is an invisible God. You can see how it took a very long time for them to do that. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be waning in a way. And uh, this, must have, this must fit into uh, the you know, astrological, uh, astro-theological stuff too, how um, this cycle keeps repeating. And now that the cycle is about to end, perhaps they need a new God. <laughs> well, it's funny that you bring that up because I have a theory there. Um, <clears throat> there's always a plan, you know, a long-term plan. Um, the plan appears to be, and, and this is something I'm just stumbling on, to create another religion uh, based on NASA that sort of consumes all of the old religions of the past. Um, they, they didn't, I don't have it yet. NASA is not a complete religion, but I think they will within the next 10 years. I literally think that they're going to fill in all of the blanks. They're going to come up with something that's so complete that it's going to be hard for someone like me to actually claim there's something wrong with it. It will just be so convincing and they will hit everyone with it, the big publicity campaign, and it'll just be over. I'll be doing so the same thing? thing, man. I'll be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. We're afraid of that, right? So, so yeah, to, uh, to complete the story, um, at some point in 670 BCE, um, apparently all this cataclysm ended. A lot of indigenous races consider that to be year zero because now the calendar is fixed forever. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, um, uh, the uh, the redactors of the Old Testament, the ones that mass produced the Bible, the Quran, the Old Testament, decided that there was another 600 years of uh, cataclysms before the year zero. They also decided that the year zero would be decided upon as the arrival of the son of the Messiah, as opposed to the calendars changing. Hmm. But right away, we can we can say there's nothing special about the arrival of the so-called Messiah that requires the calendars to reset and start going in backwards when they're counting, you know, BC and suddenly they're going to do AD. Why would we do that? Why don't we just say, here's the year that the Messiah showed up, you know? Right. Um, so, so the answer is that that answer never made any sense. In fact, that didn't even that wasn't even the real date of birth or death. It was just it was just the amount of years that that the so-called Holy Roman Empire decided to add when they redacted this history. So the real explanation ends up being that when you switch over to AD and the calendar years are fixed forever and you're talking about history, you need to be able to label the years that are BC because those years are different in length. And if you don't do that, then those years 
you'll be mistaken for the same length as modern time, and you'll think that you know people are living longer than they did or something. Whoa! Um, so this might might kind of lead it. Not doesn't have to tonight, obviously, but that kind of reminds me. It brings to my mind the um, the King's List from Sumer. You know, right. that's that's the big uh, Anunnaki explanation is that these people were living for thirty six thousand years and stuff. And I've always been really well, suspicious of that. Yeah, isn't it interesting that the dates don't line up? And what else doesn't line up is the lunar eclipses. This is one of the things Fomenko pointed out consi uh, consistently, mm -hmm. that if you look at the official charts that they give us from the Vatican, that you'll see that the lunar is the moon speeds up, slows down, you know, cuts its speed in half, does stuff that's impossible. And this is because <laughs> the dates have been squashed and stretched. Mm -hmm. um, so, oh, my God. So, um, <clears throat> right. So for, from what I can tell, human history in 686 BC uh, ships from cataclysm times into modern times into the year 1000 CE. So we're talking about 1700 years that may have not happened. Um, do I know this definitively? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen so many different references and dates at this point. I know that they've been hiding this very well. We're playing um, with ideas, you know. Yeah. But what's so interesting to me is that I don't have to worry about decrypting their version, there are other versions of all of this out there if you go find them. If you go to Eastern Europe, you will find people that have maintained the same calendar since antiquity, mm -hmm. believe the same thing since antiquity. They actually have a totally different version of the whole Jesus story. Everything is different over there. If you look at uh, the country Iran, the, the year right now is 1400 over there. The year is 1400. What? I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Obviously not the aspect of iran that is publicized on television and then nah. politicians talk to our politicians and all that that right. they're operating on our calendar years obviously so what does that say right so back to that little plan um it seems that all of the old religions are going to be defeated and consumed in the future by essentially another religious war which mm -hmm. is going to be world war three and um, although this plan seems to have failed, um, I totally get how this was going to work. Um, once they got uh, the Middle East to just collapse into a religious warfare, it was going to consume Iran, and then we're going to have to step in. And then suddenly you're going to find out that a bunch of Christians and Westerners uh, disagreed with the claims in the Quran, and mm -hmm. that, wow, this is another religious war so again. So then what right. are we going to take okay. out? What are we going to take out here? Well, Let's look at that date. They are, they are much closer to the creation date than we are. We're in 2021. They're at 1400. There's people that believe in smaller dates. It looks like we're going to go to war with those people because of what they believe in. Yeah. So, Well, I have heard similar, similarly, real quick, um, I've, I've heard that, uh, what was it, ISIS, the, the group, uh, was attacking cultural monuments and stuff like that. Exactly. And we know exactly what that? that area is, of course, from where Sumer is, Mesopotamia. Exactly. And Iraq um, is full of pyramids and nobody knows it. If you watch the third Blade movie, that terrible one with Dracula, <laughs> the, whole, the whole first five minutes of that movie shows them walking through those massive pyramids. They look amazing. Yeah. You don't see them anywhere else. Just I'll have to rewatch that for just that five yeah. minutes. <laughs> I know. Afghanistan, the same thing. They had this whole Taliban history. A lot of people don't know, but in uh, six months before 9-11 occurred, the Taliban uh, destroyed a massive Buddha statue that was carved into the side of a mountain um this is Whoa. all censored you don't find this stuff anymore but they detonated the statue in front of the world they, they made a point they drew a line in the sand they said buddha has no place in our country Whoa. that was a taliban and then six months later 9 11. Um, they haven't gotten their country back since but as you can see they're willing to destroy artifacts that were created in their own country 
who else did this in China during Mao's revolution? It only lasted 10 years until his death. He actually had a lot of people destroying cultural artifacts that claimed to be ancient China. So you see indigenous cultures trying to destroy artifacts in their own in their own country. And then other people, like in Syria, you see that the civil war aspect is trying to destroy their it's 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 a yeah. it's a fight over icons, a fight over real history. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it oh, is complicated. Shit. Yeah, it is a plan. Yeah. It's and uh and it's very scary because once you realize that if they can just get rid of all of the icons and all of the pillars, and that's it. We have no way to actually prove any of this other alternate history is real. Right, right. They have a way of proving it with their Dead Sea Scrolls, with their um, uncovered ruins of Rome that came from a volcano. I mean, they can come up with this stuff all day long. The, the, the thousand art that all the soldiers that are found in China that buried underground, those, those clay wooden soldiers, whatever they were, mm-hmm. all of that stuff can be manufactured in the 19th, 20th century. Uh, anyway, so a little off topic there, but um, that's awesome. yeah, we're seriously a lot of stuff to unpack, but hey, that's over. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very much on Syria's side on that. And I'd like to be on Iran's side, but unfortunately in both countries, they have elements within their country that wants to go to war with America. Mm-hmm. Here's why. They think that God's on their side. We think God's on our side. It's really simple. Iran thinks that they could win a war against America because God's on their side, because the Quran says so. And, and America or the West thinks that we can win yet another crusade mm-hmm. because of all the other crusades were determined by God's will anyway. So it's religious warfare. Once again. All right. Yeah, I won't get into the Fomienko stuff because I'm still researching it and it is so just provocative and how his claims, nobody likes his claims unless you're willing to really keep an open mind. Well, we're talking about getting into like Tataria and stuff like that, correct? Exactly. And that is a whole other rabbit hole that we absolutely would need another. Hey, and you know, hey, I'll have you back on anytime, man. Like this was extremely eye-opening. I mean, I feel like the, the most important thing about this conversation is that we want people to hear it to pick it apart find out what sticks in their heads and go well wait a minute what he said there does make sense but he's missing this he's missing this you know here this could turn into something i mean i feel like you can't be wrong about all this you clearly have done the lengthy research it takes uh, that any of us do that you know have everybody else look at us like we're crazy (laughs) (laughs) but it gets the job done yeah, it really requires a team effort, I think, now. And I, what I really want to do is a CGI documentary, a representation of these events in CGI. Wouldn't that be awesome? There's nothing like that. It doesn't exist. That, yeah, that would be that fantastic. That's in the 90s, and that's it, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I ho- hopefully, you know, we can get this out there and spread the word further and further. Yeah, and yeah, try to get stuff like that done, because I, I do totally agree that it's a team effort at this point. And I, I really think yes, we have yes. to, we now have to sit, we, I said this on an episode recently, we have to stop spinning our wheels and we have to start coming together because there's a lot of strife in the truth community. You know, we have a lot of different theories that, you know, we're looking for our own unified field theory. Right, 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 right. Exactly. It has to be, has to be something simple and unified. Not complex explanation, not something where you have to know about reptilians in order to understand or anything like that. No, no qualifiers. This should be simple for kids to understand. Absolutely. Kids should understand it. Absolutely. Well, Ari, it's been real, man. This has been awesome. Tell, tell my listeners yeah, really where, we, where we can find you. Oh, yeah. Just go to paradigmthreat.net and you can find all my content. And uh, I got a little 20-minute video that I sort of summarize all my viewpoints in, in the presentation. 
definitely watch that video out. It's, it's what I recommend. I will definitely put the link to that video in the show notes as well as Paradigm Threat. Uh, Ari, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was really great. I'd love to have you on again sometime to talk about all kinds of other rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah. I would like to be on again, definitely. Okay, man. Well, you have a great night, dude. You too. We'll see you later. (laughs) Bye. All right, folks. You heard it. Everything's upside down and backwards. Thanks for listening to another episode. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, that's Enough! <laughs> you have meddled with the primal forces of nature! <laughs> and you will atone! What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? <laughs> <laughs>